0: Colossians 3 is where we get to turn again this morning. Colossians 3 and verse 14 is where we'll be spending some time, maybe into verse 15. We'll see how things go along. But Paul, of course, is wrapping up his wonderful letter to the Colossians, wrapping up we midway through chapter 3, and we have all of chapter 4 to go. Of course, Paul didn't write it in chapters and verses and so forth, but they are helpful for us to to turn and be coordinated in our reading and study of, of the scripture, having chapters and verses written down for us. But he is in this section, what we would refer to as a, an application section, having spent so much time on doctrine, the truths of, of the gospel, and what Christ has done for us and our identity in him and how we need to grow and how we need not to be taken with uh, empty deception and vain philosophy, how we should turn away from legalism. You know, em- emphasis on external works and focus more on the realities, the inner realities of what Christ has done for us. We have seen so many wonderful uh, depictions of who we are in Christ. And now he's saying, well, because you are in Christ, this is how you should live. And it's not so much a should, like you should need to do this. And, and yeah. Paul is behind us with a whip kind of beating us on or whatever. It is something that yeah. because we are new creatures, we should just get out of the way, in, in some respects, I'm not, not, don't follow that train of thought too far because that leads into some false uh, sanctification ideas, but we should let Christ's reality build itself out in our lives, that we should remember that we are, as he said in verse 12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. We are in Christ, and we have this new opportunity, this new power even, to please God, to bear fruit for him, not because we need to, as a basis of our salvation, the basis, the ground, the, the substance of our salvation is what Christ has done on the cross—him dying, and of course what he did in the tomb, raising up, uh, ra- being raised up with uh, God's power through the Holy Spirit—and we can be in that as well, died with Christ, raised up with Christ, and so all these things are in this this uh, thought process as we think about what does it mean to live as a Christian in this world. Whether it's the first century, when Paul was writing, or the 21st century, God's word is true, it is relevant, it is powerful, it's life-changing. Let me read just a few verses, beginning at verse 12, and uh, we'll look at verse 14 specifically. He says, So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and graciously forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone... Just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. Above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. We we looked at these previous verses. We'll look at verse 14 now. Again, the implications of being in Christ is is not just assurance that we'll go to heaven when we die. To be assurance that when we Uh, As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Being in Christ is not just that. It is that. It's wonderful that we have that confidence. And yet, what does it look like now? Are we saved to no purpose in this world? Are we saved to to no different living in this world now that we're in Christ? How does he want us to live? And it is an important thing. Paul even prayed back in, in Colossians 1 that they, the Colossians would know would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Here in verse chapter 1, verse 9, filled may be filled with the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And it goes on there. But to be consumed with this idea that God is for me, he has saved me for a purpose, what does that mean? What does that look like? We would think, again, something that's a future, something eternal, but he says it ought to change and be very evident in your relationships here in this context, he's talking about uh, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, gracious, compassionate, kindness, humility, all this stuff. Here he, he pushes even further into that and gives even the, the ground of that, of that uh, uh, characteristic that, that should define our relationships in the, in the home. He'll talk about that, husbands and wives, parents and children, in the marketplace, and we'll talk about slaves and masters here, as we look at the end of chapter three and the chapter one, chapter four, rather, and how our identity, our new creation in Christ changes those relationships. Here, he says, apart from all these wonderful virtues that he spoke of in verse 12 and into 13, he says above all these things, or maybe beyond all these things, or in addition to all these things, in some respects, we could understand it and this way, above all these things, above all your compassion and kindness, humility, and all those wonderful things, above these things is love. Or you could think of it, below all these things is love. That's what carries us forward. Why do we say that? Because of the great import that love has in, in uh, God's dealing with us and in our dealing then with one another. Love ought to characterize our relationships. And he even says it this way in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So we have these two ideas of love and peace brought together here in this, this context and a, a parallel passage we'll look at in a moment. But when we consider love and peace and how that ought to characterize our, our relationships, we sing about it a lot of time at Christmas you know, Love has, has come down or peace on earth, good will to men. Love and peace are all throughout. But Jesus himself said, John 14, I think it was, or maybe John 15 I think it's John 14, where he said, um, I don't give you peace like the world gives you. The peace that the world offers you, that's empty. It has holes all through it. it. It cannot satisfy. It's not real. It is not something that that is genuine. It's not something they can even offer. The world offering peace, don't make me cry. I and mean, seriously, look at the world. They're a mess. And look at us in the world when we, when we are not transformed by the ruining of our mind, but we are conformed to the world. There's no peace. There's no love in our relationships and our hope and our, our our dealings with one another. But he says, no, love and peace ought to characterize your relationships. Psalm 119 and verse 165 says, those who love your law have much peace. So we're talking about a peace in a couple of different respects, but this is an inner uh, uh, settled contentment, joy, satisfaction, confidence, uh, worry-free. What is this about? Those who love your law have much peace. So having this devotion to God's word, is it all about the word? No, it's, it's the word as it leads us to God himself. As we understand the truth of God's word, we have this peace. At the end of that verse says, nothing causes them to stumble. Nothing causes them to stumble. They have that peace, that confidence in the Lord Christ. Second uh, Corinthians 13 and verse 11 says, that or the, the prayer of Paul is that the brothers would be like-minded to live in peace. And he says, the God of love and peace will be with you. This combination of love and peace is it's throughout the scripture. I could mention, I don't know, five or six or seven other examples of where that is, even in the, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, that, that combination uh, going forward. He says, above all these things. He listed these wonderful character traits of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in verse 12. And he says, and of course, bearing and forgiving, uh, bearing with and forgiving each other in verse 13. But here in verse 14, he says, love is really where it's at. That is what motivates us. That's what animates us. That is what fills us. We have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, right? The Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have really for the first time the ability to love as god has loved us now it's not to say that people who are unregenerate can't love or can't sacrifice for others we see it all the time but it is a a dim reflection of what christ has done for us loving us laying down his life for us and even the scripture jesus said uh uh, no man has greater love than this that he lays down his life for his friends that is what we look forward to Uh, we, we we rest on that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives or to serve our brothers. We ought to do good to all people, but especially to the household of faith. He says above all these things, in addition to all these things, but, but as the, as a substance or the ground of these things is love. This is what we are after. And he says all these other things, which, you know, the the list of virtues in verse 12 is not an exhaustive list. He doesn't even mention some of those things. He mentions in Galatians 5 with the fruit of the Spirit, But he mentions these things specifically in kind of a a nice, neat package of of five because he had five lists of vices back in verse five and another set of vices in verse eight in in groups of five. And now he lists this in verse 12. Uh, But there are many other things. He says above all these things, if you are motivated, animated by love, then everything else will kind of fall into place. You will be humble. You will think of other people as more important than yourself. You will be intent on one purpose. This is Philippians 2. Uh, he's I could allude to that. But he says, in addition to all these things, love is that thing which binds us together. And he says this idea of love. Now, you've heard it, and I won't belabor the point too much, because in some respects, there is a distinction between the different Greek words for love, uh, and in other respects, there's not so much. So you kind of have to look at the context and see Because God likes us, this phileo love, this filial love. He he likes us in that regard. But he, in fact, by and large, the the word, as we know it, agape or agapao, that Greek word love, is, is much more used. In fact, in Scripture, in the New Testament anyway, there is never a command to like. The phileo kind of love, filial love, there's never a command to like people. But there is a command all through Scripture to love. Love your neighbor, love your enemy, love your God, all through this agapao kind of a love, this this love that is not so much focused on myself or even our relationship that we have, but it is motivated out of a sense of esteeming the other person, thinking highly of the other person. In fact, we talked about it Wednesday night in prayer meeting, this definition that Vodhi Bakam, our dear brother in uh, Zambia, has, has said throughout his ministry. He says, true love is an act of the will Accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. Do wanna, I thought love was just a feeling that you feel when you feel feel a feeling you've never felt before. In fact, that was another definition he offered. You know, kind of an ooey-gooey, uroshi hallmark-ish type of a love. No, love is an act of the will. It is a choice. It's a rational thing. It is a volitional thing. It is something we decide to do, to love one another. And it's accompanied by emotion. There are emotions that come along with our action. In fact, Jesus says where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And we can talk about heart and mind. He mentions this, I guess, in the next verse, verse 14, about hearts. And how does that, what is he talking about there? But he says, going back to Bodhi's definition, an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action. It's not just something, for example, John three sixteen. How different would this be? God so loved the world that he just sat in heaven and emoted, he, he, just, he just celebrated the love that he had toward us. Wait a minute, that's not what it says. He loved the world. This is how he loved the world. He sent his son. He acted on that love. He had that best interest of ultimately for himself, to receive glory to himself, but love in rescuing lost and filthy rebellious sinners. He acted on behalf of its object. God loved the world. He acted then on behalf of the world. When we are motivated by love, we are rationally deliberately voluntarily thinking of what can i do to serve somebody else my brief definition of love is selfless sacrificial service we think of other people as more important than ourselves often it costs us time money resources reputation whatever it might be and it is a service it is an action on behalf of somebody else he says in this regard paul says put on love now this command to put on is kind of inherited from back in verse 12 where he says Put on these wonderful characteristics, which comes back to the idea of putting off the old man. We have we're new creatures in Christ, but man, what what are we doing wearing these filthy garments? These, these actions, these words that come out of our mouth that that's not that's not right according to your new uh, who you are in Christ. You need to continually die or put off that that wickedness, that defiling sin, and put on, as Paul says in Romans 5, thirteen. Fifteen, I think it is. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You can look it up end of verse, uh, end of chapter thirteen of Romans, and he says that we should be animated, motivated, characterized by love. Love is important. Love is a crucial element to any of our lives. In fact, Jesus was asked the question, "What is the greatest commandment in the law?" And of course, that wasn't just a, a a question put to Jesus to stump him. In that first century world, in that rabbinic world, you know, from the time of the restoration under Nehemiah and Ezra till the, to the destruction of Jerusalem, and even beyond it to some degree, there was always a question of, uh, great rabbi, how would you summarize the whole law? In fact, they had different uh, sayings, you know, stand on one foot and, and give us the greatest commandment. or And they had different expressions of it. Uh, one rabbi just said, uh, what is hateful to you, don't do to others. So that kind of, yeah, okay, what is hateful to you, uh, don't do that to others. Or as the world would want to say, do to others before they do unto you. You know, get you know, watch out for yourself first kind of thing. No, it's not like that. Jesus says the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Wait a minute. We didn't ask for a second. Jesus, just stop talking right now, period. Because anybody can claim they love God, right? Oh, and that's what the Pharisees all celebrated. They dressed this way. They didn't, all all the hair stuff, those prayers, their, their fastings. They loved God. And yet Jesus says, you say, you say, and you look like you do, but your heart is so far from me, you don't even have a clue what's going on. So they were not animated by love for God. It was love for themselves and for the praise of men, what they were after. So Jesus went on, he says, love your God but then love your neighbor as yourself when the apostle John kind of carries that out in first John he says uh, many people would claim they love God but if you love God then you should love your brother if you don't love your brother then we should kind of question your love of God if you he said back in in the verse 12 here Paul back in Colossians 3 this heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness This is the idea of having a soft and tender heart to see the needs of others and being willing to meet them, to to address those needs, as opposed to what James would describe as seeing your brother need and you turn your heart or you harden your heart against them and you say, I want to keep my resources for myself. No, that's not a a heart that loves God. Love is so important because love for other people demonstrates or proves or confirms or denies our love for God. He says, put on love. This love is that practical outworking of justification. If we have been loved by God, then we can love other people. In fact, he's not saying anything here that is uh, optional or extraordinary for the Christian life. You have been loved, so you can love. You have been forgiven, so you can forgive. You have been showed mercy, so guess what? You can show mercy. This is not an exceptional you know, only for those more serious Christians they have to love. But other but otherwise, no, we can just do what we want. No. This is a practical working, outworking of who we are in Christ. It is a commandment. Uh nine different times in the Old Testament, nine different times in the New Testament, this is is commanded that we should love our neighbors, love our husband even in this context. Uh, husbands, love your wives and so forth. It is a command. So it's not like an optional thing. We can't say you know, Lord, I, I appreciate your word and your, your, your guidance on this matter. I, I'm considering it. I'm thinking of loving my spouse. I'll get back to you next year on our anniversary. No, wait a minute. What kind of foolishness is that? Love, love your person. Did you know it's the fulfillment of the law? When Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, he also quoted Leviticus. You think, Leviticus? How did Jesus know Leviticus. Well that's a silly question. Why do you even ask that? Ask that. But Leviticus 19 and verse 18 says that we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So when Jesus is giving those two greatest commandments he's quoting from God's word and that commandment in fact Romans 13 and Galatians 5 says this is the whole law that you should love other people. You want to know what the law says? About all the kosher laws and all the, I always think of building a, a little fence around your the wall the, the roof of your house because it was a two story house and and it was an open to the ceiling second second floor. Build a parapet so people don't fall off. That's love. That's showing kindness. That's that's being gracious toward other people. It is as I mentioned the the fruit of the spirit the first of the fruits of the spirit fruit of the spirit, Galatians five twenty two the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and and the others. It is something that the spirit inspires or develops or or builds up in our lives, which is great because, again, the love that the world offers to another, I mean, if we were to compare and contrast those those two different styles of love uh, between what the world celebrates and what God himself celebrates, there are some similarities, yes, but there are so many. Mm-mm, that's not what God is doing. That's not, you know, me first or what can you do for me or what have you done for me lately or Or if you love me, you would, that's not love. That is not thinking of the other person as more important. That's not uh, having an act of the will, accompanied by emotion, at least action on behalf of its object. That is a selfish, uh, uh, self-centered kind of a love that the world always celebrates. And it's conditional. Oh, you haven't done this? Well, you're out. I'm finding somebody else to love. No. Uh, And it is, uh, instead of taking thought of, what it would benefit the other person. It is measured in terms of what's it going to cost me to do this. Oh, I don't think you're worth it to me. So bye. Whoa. I mean, do we see this? Do we see this in our world? No, this is not the love that he's talking about here. This is something that is entirely different. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, and, and how can we talk about love without turning to that passage? 1 Corinthians 13, he says that... There are many who claim they have love and they think that because of what they're doing it's loving and kind and gracious and all this. He says they have no understanding, no clue what they are what are what they are after what, are, what they're up to. It is love is a necessary basis for any action he says in these first several verses, verses one through three, he gives several different scenarios. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels. And our but to do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So if you have this special gifting of, of speaking in tongues, but it's not motivated out of love, it's motivated out of pride and selfishness, wanting to be puffed up in the eyes of other people, that's not love. You're just an, a noisy distraction. Verse 2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy, oh, well, this would be helpful. Speaking in tongues is helpful if there's an interpreter back in that first century time. But prophecy, wow, you, if I have all the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. It was all about me feeling, "Whoa, I'm this wonderful prophet. God has spoken to me. Wonderful mysteries. Which, in the context of Colossians, these false teachers were saying, we have some special knowledge from the Lord that we have discovered through angelic uh, mediators and, and even Christ Himself as a mediator between God and man. God and man. We we have this special revelation, but it wasn't motivated out of love. It was it was motivated out of a, a, a self-aggrandizement uh, you know, wanting to be uh, thought well of by other people it is not motivated out of the best interest of other people they were putting burdens upon the people you've got to do this, you've got to do this, circumcision kosher, uh, the festivals, the new moon Sabbath days, um, and Paul says no, that, that is a distraction from Christ, focus on Christ, you're not acting out of love what about this charity, verse 3 This, uh, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned but do I have love? It profits me nothing. So there are many expressions of love that are expressions of what we would think is love. And Paul says, no, that's, that's not. That's a big zero. You you lost. You 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 poured out your life for no reason. It was all about yourself anyway. And so, uh, no, you're, you're not motivated of love. And then he gives, of course, these the expressions or, or characteristics of love beginning at verse 4. Uh, why does he even have to mention patience as the first thing? Good grief. Can we move along? From there, because we already saw it in verse 12, but love is patient. Am I being patient with the scripture? Yes, I am. I, it's kind, it's not jealous, it's not brag, it's not puffed up. It goes on and on and on. But you know, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13, we have these, th- these three things faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith, there's going to be a time when faith is done for. We don't need faith anymore. We will live by sight, not by faith in what god has promised we will be in his presence and there's no need to trust him in that regard to, to say well i don't know if god's going to do this no he will have done it and we will have the assurance of the things that we have hoped for hebrews eleven one. The the uh, conviction it's kind of a paul or not paul but whoever wrote hebrews kind of trips over himself in different ways in that verse 1 of hebrews 11 Okay, what is faith again? Because he, he he talks about hope and the assurance and conviction and and it, it you get the idea, it's a rather important thing. But so faith and hope are are, dif- are similar and yet different. And I'm not gonna identify those differences right now. But love is what he says is the greatest. That is something that will last into eternity. Faith and hope will be done away with. Love will carry us into eternity. We always will be celebrated. So that's why. Above all these things, Paul says, put on love. It is something that carries us forward in this temporal age, but also in the age to come. It is something that is the means of growth, even, as he would say, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4 and verses 15 and 16. He says it's two different ways, right? Ephesians 4, 15 says, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. And he says, uh, that is Christ. Verse 16 says, from whom the whole body, that's us, the whole body of Christ, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper, properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we both speak the truth, or we do the truth, or we are all animated by the truth in love, and that causes the building up of the church. And so you realize, wow, this is rather important. Love is not just this sentimental thing that you, you feel for uh, your, your favorite um, pair of work shoes or, or, or t-shirt or your favorite hat or something. That's kind of a, a sentimental kind of love or, or the feelings that we have when you smell something and you're, that reminds you, takes you back 20 years or something, back to, oh, I remember this time. I mean, that, that's good. That's helpful. But love in this in this context is is something that is selfless, sacrificial service. It is laying down our lives for other people. And he says, above all this other stuff, if you get hung up on the idea of kindness or, or compassion or humility, well, just come back to love. Think of other people as more important than yourself. Do to others as you'd have them do unto me, to me. What am I, what do I want in this life? And unless we think, oh, that's like, kind of selfish, isn't it? Well, you're gonna do it to other people. And maybe they wouldn't like what you would like. Maybe you like when we're in the Thanksgiving season, right? Maybe maybe you like cranberry sauce on your turkey, and maybe some others don't. So you're gonna just pour it on their plate before asking. I mean, I don't know, that has caused some rifts in your family before uh but but you you would do to others what they want, what they want, and you even probe and say, You know what would be pleasing to you and and how can I serve you and what kind of, what needs can I meet? It can be in a marriage situation, the parent child relationship, a coworker uh, our boss uh employee uh it can be on the on the roads you know what would people like? I always tell my kids when we're learning how to drive, we are learning how to drive is don't make people uncomfortable. Don't make the other driver not know what you're thinking. You're merging without turning your signal on or you're stopping for no reason. Don't make the other drivers wonder what in the world are they doing? They already know you're crazy because everybody else is crazy, including you. And yet, do to others as you'd like them to do to you. You get angry about people not turning their turn signals on or or slowing down way before... Excuse me. I wax eloquent on those traffic difficulties. But love is what... Carries us through all these things. It is the perfect bond of unity, and it's interesting how it translates it here, because he gives Paul gives this idea. This is love. That is love. Being clothed with love is something that that binds us together. We read it in Acts twenty one that we were reading that Paul was bound with two chains. Whoa! He must be really seriously evil or something. It's kind of funny how that whole scenario unfolds. yeah, but he was bound this is his idea of being bound uh, and, and bound together with so there's a combination or a collection kind of like when, when Paul was later in his life was in prison actually when he wrote Colossians he was in prison prison in Rome most likely and he was bound to an, a Roman soldier 24 hours a day now it wasn't the same soldier they got rotated in and out but he was always bound to this other person and so he would talk about being in chains for the gospel and uh, a lot of different expressions of that. That's this idea of being bound together. So he talks about the perfect bond of unity here. This is something, this love is what is able to keep us together because there's so many things that war against love and would tend to, to tear us apart. Uh, Ephesians 4, the end of the chapter, talks about uh, how to deal with, with issues, how to deal with upsets, you know, the con- conflict and disagreements and, and things. He says, don't let the sun go down your anger. Deal with today's issues. Today's don't let the, don't give the devil a place, an opportunity. An opportunity for what? Destruction. What what does Satan want? He wants destruction. He wants death. He wants lies to promulgate. He wants God to be dethroned. He wants you to be, to think of himself, think of yourself as God. Isn't that what Satan himself desired? I will be like the most high. I will do this. I will do that. He wants us to think of the same way. Goes back to Genesis 3. Oh, God knows in the day you eat your eyes will be opened and you'll be like him. That's not what we want. We want God to be God. We want us to be worshipers of God. But Satan will, will deliver us or, or lead us into a contrary way. We want this love to motivate us to trust God, to, to hold firm to his word, and then to minister his grace to other people, to be Kind as we saw in verse twelve, uh, looking for a way that we can serve. What kind of needs can we meet at this time? We put on love; it is the perfect bond of unity, keeping us together because of all the the things in this world which would tend to tear us apart. The world, the devil is after the church, and even our own flesh. We would think, you know, do I really want to go up and and help this other person? Do I really want to take the time to to write respond to this email or write this email or write a text or write a Do you all still write notes with with that? What do you put on the, like an envelope? You remember envelopes and and stamps that you lick? Don't lick those. They're pre-adhesive, pre-sticky. They're sticky on the back. So do you write notes to encourage one another? Do you give gifts? Not because you, you feel like you have to, but you can bless other people. What can you do to build up this bond of unity? We saw this, this word, um, did we see a, a, a variation of this word unity? I don't know, excuse me, perfect. We saw a derivation of this, in fact, several different times in Colossians. Maybe the one I'm thinking of specifically is Colossians 128, where Paul says, uh, we proclaim him, Christ, he says, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ, is what he says. This is not just kind of we're on our way toward Christ-likeness. No, this is it. We want to be made more like Jesus. So to say this is a perfect bond, something that ties us together perfectly, finally, uh, completely, without any uh, possibility of deterioration or upset, we we need to guard against that. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, this is a, a parallel passage. He says, that of of colossians 3 he says you need to be diligent to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of love no that's what he says here but in the bond of peace what is this about we need to fight for unity in christ i mentioned philippians 2 that we should be intent on the same person intent on the same purpose having the same mind and I'm looking at all the different minds here, and I think we're not, we're not all together on the, same, on the same page. On some aspects and some other things we're, we're very much in line with. But we should strive toward that unity, not according to you know, measure against me or measure against you or, or some other hero of the faith. We look at chapter and verse. We look at what does God say. and We measure each of us, our different opinions about these different things, our different uh, applications of these different things. We measure it according to Scripture. And ultimately, what would please God? What would honor him? What would bring him glory? These are the things that, that carry us forward in love to maintain that unity of the spirit in the bond of peace or this perfect bond of unity or this, I mean, one way you could understand it is this bond or this this uh, joining together in perfection. Like, boy, we're not even close to being perfect yet. How, how are we going to do this? Well, day by day, loving God decision by loving decision, thinking of other people as more important than ourselves, we will be made more mature. We will, we will grow up together with him. We will be confirmed in our integrity. In fact, a lot of times in the Old Testament, this word translated here, perfect, is translated as integrity or or faithfulness, that kind of a, a state of perfection, one person describes or defines it implying some process of maturity we're growing in this we're, that's our, our direction we're growing in our maturity it's a maturity in thought and behavior it is mentioned in uh, judges chapter nine about uh, in truth and integrity so we're we're all about that we want to grow in our love and having that desire is kind of like asking god for patience well he's going to give us situations where we need to practice that patience because what good is a muscle if you don't use it, patience is like a muscle. The more you use it, the better you are at it, the more strong, the more stuff you can endure. And so here he says, You want to love? Well, let me give you some difficult people to love. Because it's easy enough to, to love people who are like you and who are like you or who like you, either way. It it's easy enough to love people who who are likable, uh, whatever. But he says, No, we when did Christ love us? When we were sinners, when we were not just the, the cleaned up variety of sinner. The wicked, rebellious, don't give a care for God kind of a sinner. That's what God has done for us. So what can we do for one another? That kind of thing. To love, to lay down our lives for him. This is that perfect bond of unity. Christ has loved us, and so we can love one another. Christ has given himself for us, and therefore we can lay down our lives for our friends. Above all these other aspects we've looked at in verses 12 and and other places, love ought to be the 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 word on our lips, uh, love for God, and motivated out of wanting Him to be honored and glorified, thinking of His best interest always, and then because our our eyes are focused on Him, then we can love other people and meet needs in that way. We can be kind and gracious and patient and long suffering, and we can fight for the unity that we have in Christ. There's so many things that can divide us. So many different opinions. So many different perspectives on. Life and yet, can we hold fast to God's word? Can we hold fast to the clear uh, teachings of of what He wants from us? Well, there are a lot of different you know uh, implications, applications of Scripture that we could we could uh, dialogue. You know, that's the proper word, popular word nowadays to, to dialogue about these things. But without coming to a conclusion, it's okay to come to a conclusion. In fact, for churches, it's very important for us. Uh, to to resolve this is what we teach on this issue or that issue and and this is what you'll hear. But can we still be motivated out of love, kindness, and compassion for those who may disagree on some some what are referred to as secondary issues? Yes, we can love. What about some how far are we going to go before we say, we have no fellowship? How can light have fellowship with darkness? You know, how can we how can we do that? But we're always motivated out of love for God, wanting him to be glorified in our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, our actions, and for God's truth to prevail, because it is like Ephesians 5, verse 14 says, speaking what? The truth in love, or truthing in love, or or being so taken with the truth of God's word that we love and we serve and we meet other people's needs. We don't embrace lies that would, would somehow give comfort to in the moment. Uh, you know, it's okay for you to be engaged in this sin. God will forgive you. No, you need to repent. You need to turn from that. That is destructive. That dishonor to your God who bought you. It is dishonoring to your family that loves you. It's dishonoring to your own self. You're sinning against yourself. What are you doing in this regard? Deliver yourself from this, this wickedness. But we do it out of love. We do it not out of, uh, I'm better than you are, and so I'm, I'm going to set you straight so you can be like me, the perfect one. No, we, we point one another toward Christ, the one who can give hope and deliverance at any time. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that is the prayer for today that many would call upon the Lord and find refuge in him and that we would do his work in this world. This is a crazy, crazy generation, but Christ is at work and he is saving and he is redeeming and he is, he will be glorified in and through us. Our father in heaven, we're so grateful for the gift of of love through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have a a salvation that is so rich and so free, free to us, but it costs you, your son, to death, the death of a sinner, death of a, a common criminal on a cruel uh, a tree of execution, being mocked and scorned, and yet you raised him up because he lived a perfect life. He did everything to please you. We are grateful that even though we were not like that, we, we don't do everything to please you. We're not always faithful as Christ was. But we can find a righteousness granted, given to us, a gift righteousness that we receive by faith because of your grace, because you're so abundant in that. We pray that we would represent your action of love in this world where love and peace are so much celebrated and yet misdefined and and not even closely fulfilled as you have promised and you have done. Please help us to be uh, fully your people in this age, to witness of the glories of Christ and the change that he can accomplish in anybody We are grateful for your love. Please help us to love others. Help us to think of other people as more important than ourselves. Please help us to maintain this unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Build up your church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.